And if you have a Bible verse you want to say for us this morning, please do. Good to see Delmer back with us. We're still missing some of our regulars. We have some out of town uh, traveling as well, but um, good to see Delmer back. Anybody with a Bible verse, memory verse, ready to share? Janie. Amen. All right. Very good. Anybody else? Stacy. All right. Good. Anyone else? All right. Well, Jason, would you deliver this to these two ladies then? No stealing. All right, lesson nine, page 37, Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11, we've been looking at all the different people of faith. They call it the hall of faith. It's pretty much some of the main characters of the Old Testament and their example of faith to us. And we talked about Moses' parents last week, which was a great matter of faith that they had to do what they did and because of their faith we see a man Moses and instead of one verse we have several verses again because he's one of the great men of the Old Testament and I do want to attribute a lot of Moses uh, to the time that his mother and father had him uh, in those early years training him and and uh, helping him to remember that he was a Hebrew he was one of God's people so here we have the faith of Moses and we see what God did with Moses through faith. And so um, I'm going to read Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. And so, once again, we have several verses uh, describing this man and what God used him for. We can never understand why God blessed and used Moses in such a mighty way apart from faith. Notice what God's word says in this passage that we just read. Moses was not an ordinary man. The Bible says he was mighty in words and deeds. Now, what's funny about that is, is Exodus chapter 2, Moses argues with God about how that he can't speak very well. And yet, The Bible says in Acts chapter 7, he was mighty in words and deeds. Well, let's understand the timing of this. Let's go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. And uh, we'll see what Stephen said. This is a great sermon that Stephen preached. It was such a great sermon that he got stoned to death for it. That's how good of a sermon it was. That's how you know you did a good job when people want to kill you for what you preached. Uh, and I have never preached a sermon like that yet. i come close, but never quite. Acts chapter 7 and verse 20, Acts chapter 7 and verse 20, in which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And we know that she actually hired Moses' mother to take care of him. We don't know how long that period of time was. 
But here's what it says. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And so we understand that the young man Moses was trained as an Egyptian, but he knew he wasn't an Egyptian. He was educated well, and he was mighty in words and deeds. Uh, I do think that the young man Moses was a Charlton Heston type of guy. All right. And so I think the movie kind of got that part right. And then uh, older years, he kind of changed a lot. Uh, but I think Moses was probably a potential candidate for a future Pharaoh. I really do. And uh, it says in verse 23, when he was a full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. He knew who his real brethren were. And uh, seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian, killed him, buried him in the sand. And then notice verse 25, for he, Moses, supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. I don't know if it was Moses' mother or if it was just God himself that put it into the heart and mind of Moses to, to realize. And, and I'm just going to use my imagination. I can imagine Moses' father and mother saying to him, this is such a unique situation you're in. Surely you are the one that God has meant to be the deliverer. You are in the you are in Pharaoh's palace. You're going to grow up and be raised as a Pharaoh. Surely God is doing this on purpose so that you'll be the one to deliver us out of here. I can just see that. I can just see that understanding coming from his parents. And so it says here that when he smote the Egyptian and killed him to defend the Hebrews, he just figured that the Hebrews would understand that God was going to use him to deliver them. But they understood not. In fact, the Hebrew that he saved the life of, uh, and the next day they they kind of accused him and said, are you gonna, what, are you going to kill another Egyptian like you, you know, kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And they didn't really respect him like he thought they would. And uh, that happens to us all. Sometimes we get the right idea with the wrong mode. We get the right motive with the wrong way to do it. And my, that's what young 40-year-old Moses had. He, he had the right idea that God wanted to use him to do this great thing. But he had the wrong idea that God wanted to use his great muscle, mighty in words and deeds, and Egyptian status to get it done. And God wasn't interested in that. And so it says here in verse 26, The next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one again saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, shoved Moses away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses all of a sudden was shocked. I think that shocked him. He thought for sure that the Hebrew people would just be adored with him and just enamored with him and his status. And so verse 29, Then fled Moses at this saying and was a stranger in the land of Midian where he begat two sons. This is an interesting insight into the story because, as I said, in Acts chapter 2, you get, you get the impression that Moses is not exactly Charlton Heston type because in, in Exodus chapter 2, when, when you see Moses, he's, he went from 40 to age 80. And at age 80, God visits Moses in the backside of the desert. So he spent 40 years in Egypt. Then he spent the next 40 years wandering in Midian, which I think is Arabia. And he's in the backside of the desert and way out in the middle of nowhere. And he's, he's got two sons. And he's, just, and he's just doing his thing and being a shepherd and being by himself. And that mighty in words and deeds started to wear off to the point where all he could speak was sheep language. 
And when God comes to him and says, Moses, I'm going to use you, Moses says, I can't even talk very well. And God was angry with him and said, well, go get your brother Aaron and make him the speaker then. And you can use him as your mouthpiece. And so we see Moses having a completely different spirit. But you know what's interesting? That was what God wanted. God wasn't interested in the 40-year-old Moses. I'm sure the 40-year-old Delmer looks a little different than the 90-year-old Delmer does. I'm just guessing. And uh, at which age would you prefer leading a million, three million people? 40. And so Moses, I'm sure by the time he hits 80, he's thinking, okay, that dream I had and that concept I thought was of God and what my parents had told me, it's obviously totally pie in the sky dream on my part. And God comes to him and says, Moses, I want to use you out of a burning bush. He speaks to him. Why would God want to use an 80-year-old Moses instead of a 40-year-old? Well, probably like it says in 1 Corinthians, so that nobody else gets the glory but God. So that nobody says, see, we need a man who can lead. And by the way, American Christian, we don't need a 40-year-old macho. We need a man who God can use. And Moses was 80 years old, and I don't know if he had that beard down to his ankles like it shows in the movie, but it's impressive. And I don't know all the details, but I know this, that he still had vigor and vime, and when he realized that God was still wanting to use him, God did use him. And so Moses had an intimacy with God, which is achieved through faith. He was humble at age 80 more than he was at age 40. He was self-confident at age 40, he was totally self-not confident at age 80. He's a different approach. And Psalm 103, Psalm 103 and verse 7. Psalm 103 and verse 7. This is just something else. And one of the insights that you get concerning uh, this, these things. In Psalm 103, verse 7, it says, He made known his ways, talking about God. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. God did something special with Moses. He had an intimate relationship with God uh, that others didn't get. And then in Exodus chapter 2, and I've been talking about Exodus, so we go to Exodus chapter 2, and we'll stay there, I think, for a little while. Exodus chapter 2, verse... Well, let's just start in verse uh, 11. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 and it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian spying in Hebrew, one of his brethren. He looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He thought this was how it was going to get done. We're just going to slowly but surely fight our way out of this thing. And we read of Moses at age 40 taking action in his own strength, impulsively and emotionally, to deliver the Hebrews from the bondage of the Egyptians. But now he's got to flee for his life because God wasn't in it. God wasn't blessing that. And understand, the flesh cannot get the job done the way the spirit can get the job done. He was right, but he was wrong. And God wasn't ready to use him that way. When the time was finished for the sojourning of the Hebrews in Egypt, then God was able to deliver, use a deliverer, and Moses was the one he called. In Exodus chapter 3, we see verses 1 and following. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. 
And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land, that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Notice in verse 8, God says, I'm come down. I am come down to deliver them. And notice verse 10. Come now, therefore, I will send thee unto Pharaoh, and that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God says, I have come down, and I want you now to go with me and deliver the people out of Egypt. This is God calling Moses for the first time and telling Moses, now I'm ready. And I'm just being sarcastic and, and, and snarky and, and comedian type, but I'm thinking to myself, Moses is probably saying, you're 40 years late, you know? Where were you 40 years ago? I had muscles, now look at me. I can hardly walk straight. I don't see Moses saying that, but I do see Moses saying this in verse 11, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. God says, I'm going to go with you, and you're going to bring all the people right here to this very mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Moses probably remembered the smart aleck remark 40 years ago that the one Hebrew said to him, Huh! Who made you a ruler over us? What am I going to say? Verse 14, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. That's the answer. You tell them that the God called I am is the one that has sent them. And uh, and so chapter 5, verse 1, Afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And so uh, he he just tells them, the God, My God, the I am God, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph are the one, is the one that has sent me to deliver his people. And so God had prepared Moses. And I think in every man and woman's life, as a Christian, I think there is a time of desert. There's a time where you get defeated and you wonder why didn't God come through and what was I doing wrong? I had the right motive. What happened? And there is a desert time to break us down and to tear down our self-sufficiency so that we have faith and we live and walk on the spirit instead of in the flesh so that we're not trusting in our biceps and our political power and position, but rather we're trusting in him alone. That's I think it's something that God puts in the lives of Christians. I know he's put it in my life, and I think it's just a time of testing and a time of molding, and it's a good thing. All right, let's look at page 38 and 39. We have different points here today, so let's go quickly. 
uh, several different ones. Faith, <clears throat> faith refuses. Back there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused it. He, he shunned it and, and shed it from him. Uh, that was a lot. That was a lot for him to refuse. And he did it. Moses' mother, obviously, and this author thinks, and I think too, Moses' mother, maybe father, had planted in his heart the truth of God's word, the promise of God to Abraham. And maybe even they reminded him that Joseph's bones were still in a casket and not in a fancy tomb like, like King Tut and all the other pharaohs. The time came for him to refuse Egypt and, and all it represented. Likewise, God will bring you to a moment of refusing by faith the things that are temporal and seeing the things that are eternal. Janie quoted the verse from 2 Corinthians 4.18. We don't look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. We walk by faith and not by sight. The difference between a Christian and anyone else is that we're marching to the beat of a different drum and we're seeing things that is invisible. We're seeing things that doesn't seem to be there, but it is. As a matter of fact, right there in Hebrews chapter 11, Starting in verse 13, it talks about these people of faith. And it says in Hebrews eleven thirteen, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. The tru and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. I don't know, but I've said it a few weeks ago, and I think it's probably true. That somewhere along the line, Moses might have thought back to what his parents had said. And during those 40 years when he was a young man... He probably was very stirred up with what his parents had said and what he knew. And, and, and because of his position and because of who he was, I'm sure he had access to go wherever he wanted. And probably he went to wherever Joseph's bones were. And he went and probably stared at that casket and thought about the fact that Joseph said, don't bury me with all these fancy, wealthy King Tut riches. You're going to get out of here someday. And I'm sure that spoke to him. And he saw things which were not seen. Because if you were in Egypt at the time, it's like, huh, you guys are slaves. There ain't no way you're going to get out of here. You don't even have the ability to put an army together. Because you don't have no way. But he saw some way. And in the early days, he couldn't see it quite clearly. He, saw, he thought he could see it through political position. He thought he could see it at age 40 being prime of his life. That's what he thought he could see. And God made him wait till age 80 so he could see it differently. And at age 80, he refused. At age 40 and beyond, he started to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then faith chooses, verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Faith is demonstrated not only in what we refuse, but also in what we choose. There is pleasure in sin for a season. But by faith, Moses took the long look and chose to identify himself with God's people. And that's the fact. The, the disciplined life, the Christian life, is a choosing. It's a refusing and a choosing. You're refusing what the world's got, and you're choosing something else that seems less valuable to the world and is a harder choice. But faith refuses and faith chooses. 
And then thirdly, faith esteems. Verse 26. It says, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. There's a lot here. First of all, with your finger in Hebrews, I want to go over to 1 Peter, just a few pages over to 1 Peter chapter 4. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 12, it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. If you're reproached for the, for the right reason, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, that's not a bad thing. And the Bible says there in Hebrews 11 that he esteemed. That means he valued it when you esteem something. He esteemed, he considered it the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Again, remember, the Egyptian treasures are even still popular today. King Tut and the wealth in his grave, the treasures in Egypt. He, he, he decided the reproach of Christ. And I have to say, this is really cool because this is way, way, way before Jesus came to the earth. And died on the cross. And yet he was looking ahead to Christ. Some people will tell you the Old Testament people did not look ahead to Jesus Christ. Boy, are they lying. They are sadly mistaken. He esteemed the reproach of Christ, greater riches. Being identified with Jesus Christ became a greater value to Moses than all the treasures of Egypt. What an example for us right now. That whatever Christian, Christian Christianity and Christian living puts us through it's worth it faith in the true god brought the treasures of egypt to no value this world is not my home i'm just passing through my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue the real test of faith is whether or not we are willing to be identified with the blessed son of god in an unfriendly world again the bones of joseph the fact that he said don't you bury me with those rich guys the bones of Joseph in a simple casket was a great testimony to Moses, no doubt about it. Because Moses knew that Joseph had every opportunity to have been buried as royalty and to have been and to have been, you know, just enshrined. And Moses himself had the same opportunity. But at age forty, even though he did it the wrong way, he had the right attitude concerning Egypt. He was not impressed with Egypt. I hope that someday, if not already, you get unimpressed with this world. Uh, this world is just unimpressive. I know we all we all think we're rich. You know why we all think we're rich? Because in our lifetime, our homes have doubled in value. But the truth is, they haven't doubled in value. It just takes more dollars to buy them. Saw a catalog for guns from 1972 the other day. $47 for a pistol, $89 for a shotgun. Our guns aren't aren't any different then than, you know, some of those guns were that I have or you have, they were made before 72. It's just that our dollars are worthless, that's all. That's why so we think we're rich. We're not rich. Our dollars just don't have any value. 
there's half a million dollars to buy my house. No, it's just the same old house as any other house. It's just that we ain't got any money anymore. Our money is worthless. And, and we've been ripped off. Someone stole our money and gave us green papers. And I look at this world and I look at value and, 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 and then I think about these people who have these, you know, ex- extravagant homes and properties and, and man, that's beautiful and wonderful. And, and I, I'm, wow, I'm in awe sometimes at some of the beautiful locations and properties that there are. But then I realized you got to pay taxes, man. And if you don't, you don't get to keep renting from the government. They'll take it from you. I'm just not impressed with this world. I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed with what the world has to offer. It, it, and, and Moses was, he, he, he walked around in it. He was surrounded by it. He knew all the hobnob, big name people. He knew them all. And he just was not impressed. It wasn't what he wanted. Thank God for that. And we need to be that. We need to understand that that's how we are to be. Is unimpressed with everything the world calls valuable. And the world says is important. We need to recognize that. Because it's all going to pass away. And it's all going to uh, be left behind when you die. So then faith forsakes. Again, verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt. Not fearing the wrath of the king. Just like his parents earlier did not fear the king's commandment. They feared God's commandment instead. By faith he forsook Egypt. He didn't quite do it the right way, but at least he had the right mindset and he forsook Egypt. Forty years earlier, he ran from the king. But now as an 80-year-old, he faced the king and forsook Egypt, not fearing the king. And I like this last sentence, and I think it's a great sentence, and it matches the Bible verse. When we truly fear the Lord, we do not fear men. Proverbs 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When we fear the Lord, we do not fear men. You know how you can tell if you're really walking in the fear of the Lord when you're not afraid of what men can do? Psalm says it, I think it's 118. It says, How can I fear what man can do unto me? Why? Because I'm with the Lord. At age 40, even though Moses was strong and had all kinds of ambition, the truth is Moses proved at age 40 that he feared people. But at age 80, Moses walked right in. (laughs) I mean, the scene's quite tremendous. 80-year-old guy walking in. God says, let my people go. Who are you, you old geezer? You must be out of your mind. What are you going to do? What are you guys going to do? Are you going to hit me over the head with your rod? And, and, and yet he had no fear. And when you start walking with God, you'll start to fear people less. That's a good thing to know. And God, there's a box right here, says, God truly became greater to Moses than the king of Egypt. Moses was afraid of the king of Egypt at age 40. That's why he buried the Egyptian, and that's why he fled when he found out it wasn't going to work. But at age 80, he walked right back in because he feared God more than man. And then faith endures. By faith, Moses endured, it says in verse number 27, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And as we sang, Jada picked the song about uh, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 
That's part of being a Christian is enduring things. You know, you know what was probably the hardest thing on Moses? When he got back there at age 80, and they still, his people still really weren't ready to follow. At first, they're like, oh, yeah, that's how, we're going to get out of here? Oh, that sounds like a great thing. But then after all of a sudden Pharaoh doubled their, their tally of bricks and, and made it hard on them, they were mad at Moses. <clears throat> and that's got to be hard on a, on a guy. I know it's hard on a pastor. It's hard on a, on a parent. It's hard on a father when your own family or your own church family don't believe in you. And then you're like, I got nobody. And not only does Pharaoh laugh at me, but, but, but even the people I'm trying to help are laughing at me. His own people were not happy with him. That's got to be tough. But enduring means he didn't give up. You don't quit. We must stay the course. And Moses kept his eyes on the Lord. It says, seeing him who is, who is invisible. They don't understand right now. They don't get it. They're not seeing it. They don't. They're not understanding that this is God's plan. At age 40, they might have saw my biceps and the fact that I had an inside you know, position in the palace, but now they, they don't see anything. They're not really seeing it. It's just getting harder for them and getting worse. I don't like it either when I preach and I teach and I tell people, here, this is what you got to do. You got to walk by faith. And as soon as I tell them that, boom, it's just like they lose their job or their engine and their car blows or their kids are fighting against them instead of going for it. And, and it's like they're just, ah, oh, pastor, that's not working. Yeah, but it's still the right thing to do. And we still need to go forward. And we still need to do right. And, and so faith has to endure. Now let's just rewind a little bit. Faith refuses. Faith chooses. Faith esteems. Faith has to forsake some things. And faith has got to learn to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. To keep your eyes focused on him. As chapter 12 says in verse 1. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so Faith endures, and then faith keeps. Back there in Hebrews 11, verse 28, through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. Lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. The lamb had been prophesied. I'm sure that they had heard the story of Abraham and how that he was going to offer Isaac as a sacrifice and And at the last minute, God provided a lamb, himself a lamb. I'm sure they understood that even Abel and Cain and the the idea of the lamb sacrifice versus the vegetables and fruit. No doubt they knew about the history of the lamb and how important the lamb was. But through faith, he kept the Passover and he told them that night, you need to kill a lamb and you need to take the blood and smear it over the doorposts of your homes. Because God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And this is the beginning of Passover. And this, again, points to Jesus. And I can't help but think, when you take a branch like a brush and dip it into a pan or a basin of blood, and you put it on this side, and you put it on this side, and you put it on the top, I can't help but think that blood's going to drip right down the center of that doorway. And if you're slopping it on there, it might even come across. And it made probably a bloody cross right across that doorway. Now, they couldn't have possibly understood what a cross was because no one used crosses for crucifixions or executions back then. But I can just see at least one of those houses that night having a bloody cross on it. Somebody slopping it around. 
What a picture of Christ that was. And by faith, he keeps what God told him to do. Doesn't understand it all. I think when we get to heaven, after we're dead and after Jesus returns, we look over the balcony of heaven and we see the, the, the thing played out before us. We see history all kind of played out before our eyes and we see the big picture. I think all of a sudden we're going to say, that's why that was. I couldn't understand why we were doing it that way. I couldn't understand why I had to have this done this way. But now I see, and by faith we keep the word and we just do what God said. And you can imagine if they had done all that and nothing had happened, or even if they did all that. You know, they exited that night, but a lot of people in Egypt who weren't believers died. There there was death in every home in Egypt. Pharaoh's old firstborn son died. In every home that didn't have the blood of the lamb on the door, the firstborn died that night. The death angel came, and there was every home that was not marked with that blood, there was death. And I don't think this happened because I think the exodus happened quickly. But I think the movie of the Ten Commandments, you can the impression that the Egyptians were looking for all the homes that had blood on them because they were blaming all the people who didn't have a dead kid in the house for why their kid was dead. After all, it was their their God that killed them. And so you can be sure that those homes were literally marked as being the troublemakers because their homes had the blood on the door. And now there's death in my home because of these people. But by faith he kept the Passover. And you and I live in America, so we don't understand the the concept of no freedom of religion but you are a marked person when you're a Christian in a lot of other countries. I just read over in Europe, in the UK, that now they're considering legally that certain passages of the Bible are just not correct and not politically correct to be spoken in public. It's just too offensive. And so they're considering legal action if you were to publicly quote Bible to someone on the street. Um, the the hatred and the disregard for Christianity is growing immensely. But faith keeps the Passover even if it does mark you. And even if there is blood on your door, you're not afraid because you know that God told you to mark it and to do what's right. And Moses knew that God was going to be, he was going to deliver them by blood because he promised that he would. And we sing about the blood at our church and Notice, if, if you will, if, if you happen to listen to contemporary Christian music today, rarely will you hear anything mentioned about blood. Rarely, you, you tell me if I'm wrong, and I'll, you know, I'll be glad to, to check it out, but typically there isn't real deep doctrine in songs anymore. And there isn't really good preaching and teaching about the blood of Christ anymore. But it is the blood that cleanses us from all sin. It's not just an, an acknowledgement that Jesus was God, or, but it truly is a faith and understanding that the atonement of the blood and that is the blood and the, the faith, and it takes faith to do what they did. That faith in the blood of the lamb is what cleanses us from sin. It's what saves us from sin. And that's why the song says, old, the old rugged cross stained with blood so divine we sing about the blood because we understand the importance of it and by faith he kept uh, the blood Passover and pointed to people to Jesus the sprinkling of blood and uh, and then by faith faith passes 
By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, as saying to do, were drowned. <clears throat> this is the last verse on the subject of Moses. And, of course, it's not the end of his life, but it's the end of probably one of the greater things that happened, and that was the crossing of the Red Sea. What an amazing story that was. Let's go to Exodus chapter 14 and see some of it. Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. I don't really recommend the, the movie The Ten Commandments um, as a great Bible source because they, like every movie, they mess up. You know, the book's always better than the movie, right? But it is pretty cool to see how that they reenacted this parting of the Red Sea. Uh, Exodus chapter 14 and verse 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. So they had left Egypt, and the Egyptians said, Wait a minute, what have we done? We just... We just gave away all our slaves. Now who's going to do all our work? And so they're mad, they're angry, their firstborn are all dead, and they go chasing after them with chariots and horses. And God put a pillar of cloud between them by day and a and pillar of fire by night, and they couldn't get close enough to them. But in the daytime, they're starting to make headway, and, and, they're, and they run into a dead end. And it's probably the second finger in what's called the Gulf of Aqaba, uh, which is part of the Red Sea. And, and if you look, you can see the second finger on a map upside down looks like two fingers and i think they were in the at the second finger the furthest east finger staring standing there at the gulf of Aqabas. it's just this wide sandy beach with high mountains all around there's just no way out and they're literally millions of people dead-ended at this red sea and here comes the chariots and the horsemen and they're rumbling and the people are getting real scared and they're starting to complain about moses and what'd you do get us out here in the middle dead end can't even follow a map actually Moses wasn't following a map he was following the pillar and the pillar was leading him to go this way and so he says in verse 13 stand still be quiet and just see what God's about to do and it says in verse 14 the Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace and the Lord said to Moses wherefore criest thou unto me speaking of the children of Israel that they go forward but lift thou up thy rod and stretch it out thine hand over the sea and divide it and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea and I behold I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh upon all the host upon his chariots and upon his horsemen and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord so what happened so Moses holds out his rod and the water just starts to split in half and just starts to divide and the bible says that it was dry ground not muddy ground not not mucky ground which is impossible for something that's been underwater for all that time oh by the way over there in the gulf of Aqaba, divers and submarines have confirmed that there's like this land bridge like this like it's really really deep except for this one area where the land comes up within i think it's 100 feet or maybe even less to the surface of the water and so it's not nearly as deep of a descent right there and God pushes back the water and it stands up like a wall of water like an aquarium and you know you can use your imagination kids seeing fish swimming around in there or whatever you know popping out of there and throwing the fish back in I don't know but here they're going across and this mucky isn't muck it's it's dry and they're going across on dry ground and what's crazy is the Egyptians followed them 
I mean, after everything that's already happened, all the plagues that they went through and the death of their firstborn, and then seeing water stand up by itself, I mean, it, you would have thought at least one Egyptian soldier would have said, I don't think this is a good idea to go in there. But they did. And the Bible says that when the Israelites got on the other side, then God allowed the water to close back up and drowned all the Egyptians and their horses and everything. And God fought for Israel. And they had to go forward. And by faith, they passed through the Red Sea on dry land. The Lord led them to the sea where there was no escape except by his power. The Bible says by faith they passed through. And that's how you and I are going to pass through is by faith. Impossible to the human eye, but by faith. As we follow the Lord, we are going to face the impossible. What are we going to do? There is only one way out, and that's by faith. I know they made movies about Moses, but when I get to heaven, I'd like to see the official movie and to see how that all looked. That must have been an amazing thing to see and to to witness. And all this is by faith. Moses didn't do it. I mean, he had a rod. He was an old man. He had a rod. That's all he had, and God used him And by faith, he obeyed God, and God blessed. Well, we see these different people of faith. It's been good to study. We'll study some more as we keep going. Uh, But we're out of time, so let's pray, and we'll be dismissed today. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray for all those who are struggling with illness and and sickness. Help us to get better and to get uh, back together collectively, and, and for those out of town, that you be with them. I pray for us to have the faith of Moses and of Moses' parents, the faith of Joseph, the faith that encourages by our faith, that we have a faith that others can see and say that's how it can be done. We can do it too. Help us to follow you. Help us to not do it in our own strength. Help us not to assume it has to be done the world's way, but instead help us to do it your way so that when it is done, nobody can get the credit for it except for you. And so help us to remember that you want to do impossible things and strange things in strange ways so that you'll get the glory and help us to give you the glory with our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.